Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. In this simple verse, Paul sums up for us Jesus' person and work. The first thing that we can notice here is that it says the fullness of time. Now this is very interesting, right? We're coming up on New Year's. That's exciting. I hope that everyone's excited. I hope that everyone's got big plans, safe plans, so on and so forth. And yet, in each year, really, we wait for New Year's, don't we? Maybe for some, it's a time off work leading up to it. Maybe a time off work during it. Whatever the case may be, it seems as though the fullness of time has come. And yet, each and every year, this is a very predictable time. Well, here, what we're talking about in the fullness of time does not mean that, okay, this came into place, and then this came into place, then this came into place, and all of a sudden we knew exactly when Jesus was going to come. So often we do this with the end of time as well, don't we? We so easily forget that God himself created time and stands outside of time. And that when Christ came into the world, this is when God entered into his creation called time. That's a big idea, and yet it's a very important idea. Because the fullness of time, in terms of what God knows, what God thinks, what God believes to be the fullness of time, makes absolutely no sense to us. We are to pray, Come, Lord Jesus. Right? We want Him to come now. We see suffering in our life, in a family member's life, in our neighbor's life, and we think, yes, Jesus, now is the right time. And yet He waits. He waits, and we begin to doubt. We begin to lose faith. And yet, God comes in the fullness of time. Christ comes in the fullness of time. And that is on God's time. Jesus arrived. It says there that God sent forth His Son. To send someone forth is like I say at the end of each service. You are sent. Why? Because you are going out on a mission. And you are going out knowing that it is a good mission that it is a successful mission, whether you experience success or not. So Jesus came on a mission, sent out by God the Father as His Son. And from that, as we confess every week, in some way or another, Jesus was truly God. He was all of God. Right? So as we, as we say here, His Son, we are saying God sent Himself, truly God, out into the world. And then much like that, something else that we can confess together each and every week, that He was born of a woman, that He was truly man. 
that he was truly God, truly man. Fully God, fully man. And yet there's more to that born of a woman than just meets the eye. And we know that because right after Paul says, born under the law. To be born of a woman, to be born a human, means that you are born under the law. Each and every one of us is born under the law. And throughout the book of Galatians, Paul makes it very confusing actually. He talks about the laws of men in the sense of natural law, right? We could look at the Ten Commandments and we could say that most people, even if they think it's okay to murder, there's still guilt about it afterwards. That is our conscience built into us telling us that that is a bad thing that we do. And those people that don't experience that as a bad thing, that is because their conscience is so seared that it is completely out of line with what God wants for them, for you and for me. But we have other laws that Paul talks about in Galatians, other laws of men. We actually talked about this in 1 Peter when we talked about um, the traditions that everyone's ancestors carry with them. Now, Paul was talking to Jews and to Gentiles. He was saying, Jews, your traditions can't save you. Gentiles, your traditions and your ancestors can't save you. There's only one that can save you. All those laws that we build around us to try to set up some sort of world for ourselves, Paul is saying those aren't going to save you. And then come to find out, the law of God isn't going to save you either because you can't do it perfectly. You need to come before God righteous, complete, whole. And you can't do it. And so Jesus came born under the law. God Himself placed Himself under His own law to prove His righteousness to you and to me and to make us right. We call that justification. To justify us. To make us right before God. As we confess each and every week, For us, He kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. But why did He do this? To redeem those who were under the law. So He did. He came to redeem us, to save us, to make us right. But why did He do that? (laughs) So that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, ladies, it could get a bit confusing here because Paul literally just said, there is neither male nor female. And then he says, so that you can be adopted as sons. Did we all just become sons? No, a part of the argument that Paul is trying to make here, something that he's trying to help us understand, is that what was was beneficial about being a son in this day and age is that you are the one that received the inheritance. And so he's saying, Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free, in God's eyes, you all receive the inheritance. All the good gifts and benefits of Christ are given to you. You are adopted and made 100% God's son, God's child. 
so that you can receive all of His good gifts and nothing stands in the way of that. In chapter 3, just before what we read this morning in Galatians, it says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by, who does not live by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by doing what? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And this is where things begin to get interesting, moving on to verse 6. Because we, we need to see how it is that we are adopted. Not just in Christ's work, but in some other work that God is doing in us. How are we adopted? Well, from Galatians 3 and what we're going to read in verse 6 here, it seems as though we are adopted by receiving the Spirit of God. By God the Spirit being sent and acting upon you and me. That is how you are adopted. Now, you might be asking, uh, is Wade going to get all charismatic here? Am I going to get all enthusiastic up here? Sure, I am right now. Um, Here's the deal. How can you know that God the Spirit is with you? How do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? Now, Martin Luther said it this way. Anyone who within himself feels and understands love towards God's Word and willingly listens, speaks, writes, and thinks about Christ should know that this is not the work of your will or my will or reason, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. For it is impossible to do these things without the Holy Spirit. One of the things that, that Paul said here, back in, verse, in chapter 3, verses 10 to 14, is he repeats something that's um, from Habakkuk. He repeats something that he also will say later in the book of Romans. And he says, the righteous shall live by faith. To which all of us, our natural religion, <laughs> our, our natural inclination as our first Father Adam would have believed is to say, well, great, the righteous shall live by faith. All I have to do is have faith. No. In order to have faith, you must be righteous. Paul is saying, the righteous live by faith. Christian, how do you and I become righteous? Is it by getting faith? No. You become righteous by being made righteous through Jesus Christ, who made himself a curse under the law, who lived perfectly under that law. You were made righteous in him, and you were given faith by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Luther continues on, if I am a sinner and make mistakes, he is righteous and cannot err. Further, I am happy to hear, read, sing, and write about him and wish for nothing else than for his good news to be known throughout the entire world and that many would be brought to him. This is how you know that the Holy Spirit resides in you. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look, if it were not for the Holy Spirit, we would all still be prodigal sons, caught up in our own laws and our own self-righteousness, or caught up in our own foolishness out in the world. God sent the Spirit so that we could experience life as in as children who inherit something so that we could be adopted and know that we are adopted if you want to think about adoption in this way it's good um justification is being made right by god so that when he looks at you he sees only the holiness and righteousness of his son jesus in a sense, adoption is the, relation, the relationship, the relational experience of your justification. It's you knowing that you have been justified. And because of that, you know that you can stand before the Father without shame as a child who inherits not only his righteousness, but every good thing that flows from him. God has sent the Spirit of His Son, which is an interesting phrase here, right? The Spirit of Jesus has been sent out into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now sometimes, when it comes to Good Friday, we, we hear Jesus cry this, Abba, right? And it's, it's oftentimes translated, Daddy. That's not bad. It's not bad. Um, it, it, it gives the relational aspect of what we want from that word, okay? And yet there's more to that word than that. Imagine it like this. Because at this point, when we are adopted, the text is saying, you are a grown-up child of God that gets the inheritance. You get salvation. Alright? Now, for you to be crying, Daddy, doesn't really fit with your level of maturity at that point. I don't know what words you would call your father now if he was still alive. I don't know what word, um, <laughs> I hope it's a good word, if you experienced a good father. I don't know what you would call that father if you were in a time of deep distress and trouble. But that's the word that we're looking for here. That if you were lying broken and battered on the side of the road and you knew your father could come and help you, this is the word that you would cry out to him, Father. And he would come and he would rescue you. And this crying is interesting because it is both a, a battle cry and it is also a cry of defeat. 
It's a battle cry in the sense that you're crying, Father, I know that you're with me. And it's a cry of defeat as in, Father, I know that I'm always and ever in need of your help. The same word is used by Moses, well, actually, used by God in Exodus chapter 14. Um, In Exodus chapter 14, the Lord speaks to Moses at the Red Sea saying, why do you cry out to me? Even though realistically, in that story, Moses did no such thing. Moses actually just stood there in complete and utter dismay because he did not know how to complete the task that was set before him. And the Pharaoh's armies were coming on horseback and in chariot behind him, and he didn't know what to do. And wordlessly, Moses stands there, and yet God says, Why do you cry out to me? For Moses, it seemed that unbelief was now reigning in him rather than faith. And yet, God the Holy Spirit was given, and the things that Moses was in a panic about that he could not express, God instead heard and responded to, replacing Moses' doubt and weakness with faith. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In the cry of Abba, Father, this is what is happening. We've got nothing else to say other than Father. And we know that He is there to pick us up and to save us. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Your translation might just say, uh, uh, through God, which isn't bad. Um, The older translations, though, I think maybe added a little bit to the text in the sense that there were some words that are left out, and we're, we're expected to fill in the blank of what person of the Godhead we're talking about here. And so your King James, your New King James, and basically any translation that comes before that reads... Um, reads as such, an heir of God through Christ. Because it's trying to make it more explicit for you what we're talking about and who we're talking about. Christian, that is, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you know that you have been adopted, if you know that the Spirit resides in you, that Spirit of Christ, you are no longer a slave, but a son or an inheriting child. You're not a slave to the law of God, which sounds a bit harsh, because what Paul's talking about in Galatians is the law of God performed in the way that man wants to perform it. That is to say that if I do well enough, then God's going to give me the points that I deserve. You're no longer a slave to that false system of understanding God's law. You are no longer a slave to the laws 
of your nature. That is to say, um, you're no longer a slave to the laws that you make up for yourself. Okay? You're no longer a slave to the fact that does it sometimes feel like our world is environmentally falling apart? Yeah. There's garbage all over the beach, right? There's pollution in the air. If you drive into the city, you'd see that beautiful black smog of tires burning, right? We know this. And so we say to ourselves, I'm going to stop using uh, plastic straws, right? That's, it's a fine thing, don't get me wrong, except for plastic paper straws are horrible. But other than that, we set up these rules for ourselves. And we say, this is the rule that I'm going to follow. And this is the rule that is going to make me right in the world. If I get a dog, I'm only going to get it from Hawes because that is very important. It doesn't matter where you get the dog from, right? We set up all these rules and these standards for ourselves to try to justify ourselves in the world. You're no longer a slave to those laws. Are those bad laws to set for yourself? No. It's like a diet. Do it if you want to. And yet that diet does not control you. All right? That, that diet maybe sets you free a little bit if you want to say it like that. You are set free from that law to do those things freely. You are set free to go out and take a job that you want to take if it's a blessing to your neighbor and not a curse to them because it's a good thing. You're set free to live in this world and not live under any arbitrary or useless law that is set up for you. Instead, you set up those laws as a joy to make your life here more enjoyable and to do it in Christ. You're no longer a slave to piety. That is, seeking your own holiness for the sake of seeking your own holiness. And you're no longer a slave to fear or Satan or sin or death or hell. These things you need not fear anymore. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then fully inheriting children, heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Not only there did Jesus win a benefit for us, but He won for us all of His benefits. And Paul continues, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Christian, this morning, 
Where do you place your fear, your love, your trust, your faith? Is it in yourself? In your own keeping of God's law? Of your law? Of the law of the world? Or is it in Christ who met all the requirements of that law for you? So that you would be set free and full inherit, inheritors of God's good gifts given to you in salvation. If you know that Christ is your Savior and you have come to Him confessing your sin, know that already, as Martin Luther was encouraging us, there is a work of the Spirit that has gone on in your life that has made you an adopted child. That has made you right with God the Father. That has made you a brother of Christ. That has saved you and brought you into good and right relationship with God the Father. Let me pray for us. Faithful Father, we do ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit and that you would cry into our hearts, Abba, Father, that in that you would assure us of your choosing of us, your hand-picking of us, to be in Christ. To reveal more and more your truth to us. To confirm and to strengthen and to establish us. So that by that same Spirit, we would live and die as instruments of mercy in this world. To your glory, and to the benefit of your church. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.